Episode 13 of the Archive Jazz Podcast is now live. My name's Christopher Peck. I'm Jeffrey Lean. I'm Tom Everett. And today, what are we talking about, Tom? We are talking to Doug Ramsey, who has just put together and produced a LP set of Chet Baker's Riverside Recordings, the great trumpet player recorded for Riverside Records. And vocalist. Five LP uh, set, not available on CDs. Excuse me? Craft Recordings is Craft Recordings. Originally on Riverside, part of the Fantasy Prestige Milestone Group. And uh, it's a great collection. If you think you know Chet Baker's work, mainly his West Coast work for Pacific Jazz, you owe yourself a listen. It's, uh, he's in, heard in some very unusual, for him, not standard uh, repertoire. And some of the side sidemen are uh, Johnny Griffin, Kenny Drew, and a bunch of others. Yeah. Billy Joe, Paul Chambers, yeah. all kinds of all kinds of great people around yeah, this. To name a few, to name a few. Yeah, and that's uh, it's got a pretty sweet little package included with it. Um, you it get, does get the the six 180 gram LPs, and those are cut from the original master tapes. Comes with a deluxe gatefold and 16 page booklet, and that's where Doug comes in. He wrote the books, the liner notes for that booklet. Yeah. And also a photo print on in a glycine pouch, so you can have a nice little picture of him. Yeah, as well. Uh, it's something interesting about this too is that uh, it does include a bonus, a bonus record in there that um, has a lot of outtakes and alternates from from the sessions, which I always find interesting because sometimes you catch uh, like dialogue, the in chatter, there or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's worth worth checking out. I'm looking forward to hearing it myself. Excellent, excellent. So All right, you guys, want to cut to the interview? Let's do it. All right. So right here's away. our interview with jazz historian Doug Ramsey. Well, obviously, we're here to talk about the Chet Baker Riverside Sessions, um, which uh, you so masterfully uh, shepherded through, apparently, obviously. Um, it's interesting to highlight uh, somebody who's traditionally or just kind of seen as a, the quint- one of the quintessential West Coast players, but... Uh, it was a move to New York and a, and a different signing, and it seemed like a, a different outlook for him than he had, Mr. Baker, that he had uh, earlier. And uh, can you just give us a quick description of when he got there, who he, his relationship with uh, the label, or um, I what, don't, what brought I don't him out know there? the year. Yeah, I don't know the year that uh, that Chet moved to New York. Uh, I have a, I have a feeling it was, it must've been around mid seventies. What, one of the things that drew him there was the fact that, uh, he had an offer to play at, uh, the half note, uh, which had by that time had moved from down among the warehouses, uh, in lower Manhattan up to midtown. And uh, had become uh, once again after they moved a, a very uh, popular and uh, crowded jazz club. And so, what? what I'm sorry, I, the mind wanders. Um, why? Why Riverside? Uh, was any was anyone else? I no no way to tell. But uh, it seemed like they they got him at a very good time. And uh, who was running well, the people? That's, that's a two-word answer. Oren Keep News. Yes, that's you just said it before I did. Um, who did 
so much for the music for so many years, but uh, he, he was the reason yeah. that Chet went there. Well, I, I, he's certainly the reason that he, that Chet did all of those Riverside albums. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, whether, whether Oren was actually involved in, in attracting Chet to move back to New York, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly was a change of scene for him from what he's usually known for. Yeah, and yeah. His, you know, historically speaking, with Chet um, leading into this, it looks like I mean, by that point, he was already had made a name for himself, um, and had already played with with some serious boppers, Charlie Parker and and uh, you know Jerry Mulligan and uh, the yeah. whole crew there. And so, you know, I was I was kind of looking through you know some of these these recordings, and you know, some of the reviews were like, well, and it's you know it's a surprise or not a surprise, but it's, you know, a delight to see him play hard bop with, the, with these guys. And it's like, he was already playing hard bop with these guys. He could, he could definitely hang in there. It wasn't all just West coast with him. And so, no, that's right. Yeah. You know, so it is interesting to, to catch these. I, I really enjoyed this, uh, this collection, just getting the, uh, the listen through. And these are many albums, albums I've heard before. Um, and these have been remastered. Uh, into the deluxe five LP box set. Um, and so yeah. your contribution on that, you were, uh, you've, you've added in uh, notes into the 16 page booklet. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And the, the yeah. focus. And uh, Oren, Oren Keep News and I had, uh, had been associated for years. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me to do the notes for this compilation. Mm-hmm. Um, what became what became a compilation? I had done notes for some of the individual albums earlier. Mm-hmm. And it starts off with um, Chet, ba- Chet Baker sings "It Could Happen to You," uh, moves into Chet Baker in New York, then Chet, and then Chet Baker plays "The Best of Learner and Low." Uh, so that was yeah. the that was the sequence there, and and you know, it, looking through it um, and looking at. A, a uh, much finer uh, telescope on it. Um, this is a lot of Miles Davis's rhythm section involved here. <laughs> you know, Paul Chambers, Philly Joe's in there, uh, Bill Evans yes. uh, throughout. So yeah. he was, there was a lot of uh, cross mingling of, of this rhythm section across. And also, you know, Art Pepper at that time was, you know, yeah. with the, with the rhythm section there. Um, so you can, it's just historically anyway, for me, it's interesting to see uh, how, how they were, playing across each other's albums. Um, so, well, especially some yes. of Billy uh, Joe Jones. There was a lot, a lot of that sort of uh, cross-pollination going on in those days. Absolutely. And this was also around the same time as Kind of Blue coming out and, and uh, sort of at the uh, birth of the cool was right before this as well. I don't know. I, I hear the influence. I hear... Uh, the things that tie these things together, um, mm-hmm. a lot of it with Bill Evans, you know, and and that sound uh, coming through. And the septet disc that had yeah. uh, Herbie Mann and Pepper Adams and Evans and Kenny Burrell and Billy Joe. Who who did the charts for that? You know, I'm not I'm not sure that there were yeah, yeah. charts for that. I I think that was one of those dates where 
in effect, uh, somebody said, what do, what do you want to do next? So they did <laughs> yeah. something next. <laughs> yeah, it kind of plays like that. But uh, I, just, I didn't know if they had actually organized or uh, um, it's pretty much just standard repertoire well, with everybody stepping up doing their best yeah Oren could Oren could answer that unfortunately he's no longer with us yes mm-hmm. yeah well i think it might be interesting to go through each one of these albums kind of get your your thoughts on it i'm sure i'm sure you wrote plenty in the in the notes but just maybe a summary um about uh that album and and kind of your takeaways from it so um if that's agreeable on your end, uh, the Chet Baker sings it could happen to you was the first one. Um, what were your, your thoughts on that? Well, I always, uh, deeply appreciated Chet's singing because it was a reflection of what he did on the trumpet, uh, particularly when it came to the lyrical aspect of his playing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so whenever I heard him sing, I heard, as most people did, echoes of his of his trumpet playing. Absolutely, certainly in the phrasing, definitely. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And the and the tone, I think. I mean, you know, he was uh, he he was not a hard bopper. No, no. Which is one of the sessions, which is particularly interesting, is uh, him playing up uh, with Johnny Griffin, who certainly was a hard <laughs> sure was. and uh yes, he was the combination yeah. of the two is really quite beguiling actually um because yeah. you know they're, not, they're they're you know it's not going to be a tough tenor's date there's only one tenor and the other trump the trumpet player doesn't play that way so um i think for me that was certainly one of the more interesting of the sessions yeah yes i agree yeah. And Doug, you were also saying that I, I was reading in an interview somewhere that you were thinking that Chet really hit his stride as a vocalist on this album. Um, and he had sung previous to this. Uh, what, what was, what hit you about this album that, uh, made you feel that way? Unless I'm well, wrong. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not. Yeah. F- f- phrasing, uh, of course, and, uh, a kind of tonal quality that he, that he was consistent with across the, his playing and his singing. Mm-hmm. It was relaxed. Uh, it was, uh, was relaxed without being, uh, slow necessarily, but, mm-hmm. but even uh, when he sang up tempo songs, he, uh, he brought that, uh, lyricism to his performance. We also had, well, I, I was a friend of Mr. Claxton, Bill Claxton, the photographer, and uh, uh, uh lucky bill, you. <laughs> bill <laughs> yeah. and peggy no he was um, he was a, he was a terrific guy yes he was and uh, had many many stories but uh I mean, he knew chet when chet before chet was chet essentially before when he was just starting to break out in la and uh yeah. he adored him he thought he was just wonderful and fun and uh um Obviously, there's an enormous pile of photos or a collection of photos that uh, Bill took back then of mainly Chet. And Chet yeah. was uh, the, the definition of, uh, of photogenic back then. And um, Well, he had such a splash. I mean, even, even Hollywood wanted him. I mean, he was in a movie. Uh, he had just a, just a number of things going on. And, and you know, on top of which... Uh, he was starting to to win downbeat polls where he beat out 
uh, Clifford Brown and Miles Davis and <laughs> all that stuff in 1955. Yeah. So, I mean, just yeah. talk about it. It's just an explosion um, on the scene. Well, and, don't, don't forget that uh, <clears throat> Chet's first big break as far as the public was concerned was his being selected by Charlie Parker to, uh, to be the other horn in, in Parker's quintet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's like a coronation. Yeah. Yeah. How long did and, that last? Uh, yeah. That was... Well, there was a, there was a West coast tour. Mm -hmm. I remember I was in Seattle at the time <clears throat> in college and there was a West coast tour, uh, with, with Parker. I think the rhythm section was Jimmy rolls and Carson Smith. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm not, I, I, don't recall exactly who the drummer was, <clears throat> but that was, uh, that was my first opportunity to hear Chet live. And I was impressed. Wow. <laughs> so you were there, you saw that. That's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. And, and to, to see bird, you know, that's, that's something else. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're living Testament that apparently he held his own in a competition like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting too that you know Jerry Mulligan was involved uh, early in that that part of his career, and throughout this, you know, li listening to these Riverside recordings, uh, Pepper Adams is on there and and uh, others. So he didn't he, he didn't uh, dislike the Barry sound and, and maybe how it worked tonally with with what he was trying to say uh, on the trumpet. So right, right, yeah. yeah, of course, and 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 Pepper was one of the <laughs> one of the great baritone players. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. To me, I hear, I just hear a lot of, and you're saying this too, and, and what your remarks were, it's just a lot of confidence, like he's coming to his own um, when you're listening to these Riverside recordings. And you can hear almost among the musicians a bit of a um, respect, like giving him the space to, uh, you know, they could play all kinds of things on top of, of some of his stuff, but they let him be lyrical much, you know, like a vocalist, you know. Uh, even when he's playing this trumpet, um, the comping behind it is not uh, not overwhelming sure. at any time. So, yeah, he just sounds, you know, very mature for <laughs> where he was already in his career. So, pretty amazing. Yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the Chet Baker in New York album uh, was much more of like a hard bop sort of album. That's with the Johnny Griffin and uh, yeah. Paul Chambers in Philly. Um, okay. I was listening through that, and uh, Paul Chambers has an amazing solo on Hotel 49, uh, where he's he's bowing the bass, and then a Philly Joe solo. I'm gonna have to transcribe. I'm a drummer, as well. So, um, but that's yeah, that's a you know, that is exactly around the time of Birth of the Cool, and I hear you know, on one of those tracks, I just hear so much similarities uh, between the two, um, and uh, certainly on Soft Winds, one another track on there where. Uh, Chet is playing double time over over everybody. You can t tell what a technician he really was. So, uh, yes, he he. I I think he he concentrated on his lyrical side for the most part, but but he could uh, he could play fast uh, if he wanted to, and and sometimes he did. Mm -hmm. I can imagine when you saw him with Bird that he was he was definitely playing some some up tempo stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, yeah, I don't remember all the details of that evening, uh, but 
of course if you if you're going to play with uh mm-hmm. if you're going to play with Charlie Parker you'd better be prepared to uh be able to rip it off if necessary <laughs> <laughs> so to speak yeah that's very true yeah uh well it moves into Chet is the is the next album there um which is is that all instrumental is that the one that is Boy, it's been so long since I wrote these notes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, Not a fair question. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And this one, this one starts off with uh, Alone Together at about the slowest tempo I've ever heard it. And I always think about that tune because, you know, at, at jam sessions, that's still called all the time. And people butcher it from here to europe <laughs> you know but they play with so much class and and uh uh so much elegance throughout this um so that's yeah. an, imp- an impressive album to me what was your yeah, thoughts on that one tom too. uh you just laid it out yeah it was very painterly yeah. you know he, he's an impressionistic sounding uh artist uh chet baker in general it sounds sounds like monet paints you know it's just uh, yeah. Beautiful, lots of colors. I just wanted to go back to uh, Oren Keep News for a minute because I think uh, Oren understood Chet perhaps in a way that some producers might not have. Uh, he, I think he knew how to how to choose the sidemen, how to choose help choose the tunes, and uh, Oren made an enormous difference, I think, in Chet's. Uh, development as a uh, not only as a player but as a just by providing sympathetic ear and uh, and circumstances that made it possible for Chuck to do his best Mm -hmm. yeah you wouldn't want him going off the rails yeah Um, did you have an opportunity to meet Oren oh yes I knew Oren quite well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and he was he was based in New York the whole time throughout his career. No, I first knew him in New York, but uh, but later we both ended up on the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, when when Oren lived in San Francisco, uh, we became even closer and uh, spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I imagine. Let's. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. No, I was just going to say. I think we can. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, the the final album on here, Chet Baker plays the best of Learner and Low. Right. These are all Broadway tunes, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. I love a lot of these tunes, especially to play them uh, almost like being in love on the street where you live. Uh, obviously, that is a such a big influence on the standards that are chosen during uh, this day and age. Um, again, this is, uh, this has a similar rhythm section there with, uh, Bill Evans, Bob Corwin on piano, Pepper Adams, um, and Herbie Mann and, uh, Zoot Sims joins on, on tenor on this, on this one as well. So it's really, I mean, you know, just being able to getting this, this set, you're catching a lot of people in their prime (laughs) right, right then in jazz history. So, uh, it really is a beautiful collection. Uh, I did want to ask and, you, and I, I just wanted to point out that uh, Chet and Zoot were extremely compatible. If you go back to the, uh, 
I think it was Chet's first album on Columbia uh, with strings. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Chet and Zoot did some remarkable things on that album, mm. uh, including that in, there was a thing called A Little Duet for Zoot and Chet. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah. It was uh, there was uh, the compatibility of those two guys, the way they thought alike, was was very important to the success of that album mm-hmm. and anything else they ever did together. Interesting. I, yeah, we need to we need to focus on that in an upcoming episode. We'll uh, we'll we're going to listen to that. <laughs> we might get your thoughts on that as well as we get a little deeper. We could do an all zoot. Yeah, we could do an all zoot. Yes, one. That's, that's a great idea. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I do see that there is a bonus uh, bonus disc on this. Not disc; it's a record. Um, uh, did you have uh, some notes on that? Did you did you comment on that and um, uh, of some of the outtakes and alternates on that session? Hmm. I'm trying to remember. Give I mean, give me the name of some of the tunes on that. Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> I don't have, oh, I don't have okay. it over here. It's okay. That's okay. And that's the good thing about this uh, recording that we're doing is that we can we can chop it Are up. Are you talking about? I'm talking about the. There's an additional oh, oh, record the, that's the added thing, in yes, here. Yes, the I bonus disc. Yeah. So yeah. Eh, we'll all we'll all have to dig into that. Well, then. I think if anyone is listening, they should go get the set and discover it for themselves. Yes. Yes. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We can't there's tell you. Spoke. We can't tell you everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So did you have any final thoughts on, you know, Chet's legacy and the box set? Well, I think it's easy. It's easy for people who are committed to the hard bop uh, approach to playing jazz to put Chet down because of his softness, his quietness, and his lyricism, which I think were uh, his strengths. Absolutely. But, uh, but people who like, uh, as I, I think I said in these notes, uh, Freddie Hubbard's torrents of 16th notes and, and the, uh, the hard bop approach in general mm-hmm. uh, are sometimes put off by Chet because of the contrast between his his lyricism and the hard boppers uh, drive and, and strength. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but I think that uh, over the years, Chet made a great contribution, not only to, uh, to jazz in general, but to trumpet playing in particular, because I think he, uh, he inspired a lot of trumpet players to, Relax, sit mm-hmm. back a little, not try to uh, to force everything into uh, the hard bop mood. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he does quite well with one of the great tenor saxophone hard bop players, Johnny Griffin. Oh, yeah, those, those those sets. Yeah. Those oh yeah. Three tunes are fantastic. Yeah, that is interesting that you bring that up and his influence. And I think when I when I listen to like a modern trumpet player today, Christian Scott, for instance. He's got people. People yeah. will, will compare him to to Miles and stuff like that, and in his style and the way he approaches some things. But to me, some of that sound that's coming out has has more Chet in it, <laughs> you know. And 
uh, I don't know, it's a certain kind of uh, air that's being being pushed through there, <laughs> some combination. But um, <laughs> but but anyway, I do I I hear you, and there and there's there is always going to be uh, the trumpet players and the instrument lends itself to it that uh, can just fly through, you know, and go very fast and, yeah. and use its explosive abilities. But yes, I and and this isn't even mentioning Chev Aker on flugelhorn and and some of that. <laughs> so. Anyway, I think he's had a, an amazing influence, and I can't I can't wait to hear this. And I think our listeners are gonna are gonna really love it. Uh, such a great section, um, and such an interesting part of jazz history too. This is right. Uh, this is 1959. Lester Young passed away. Billy Holiday passed away. Ornette Coleman was just showing up in New York to do free jazz. I mean, it's just such an interesting pinnacle moment. You, you know, kind of blue is coming out, and and uh, Dave Brubeck. Uh, release time out uh, right then as well. So anyway. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's 50, right. So 58, 59, right there, right before it turned into 60. This yeah, is jazz fans trips to the LP stores were probably pretty. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Well, it's a, it's a real yeah. honor to get a chance to, to talk to you and you've had <clears> such a, such a great contribution and such a, uh, you know, you're right there in the middle of jazz history from then to now. So uh, well, we're really honored to get to talk to you. Doug, we thank you and appreciate your work on this. And uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thank and, you. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> all right. Let's all, all right. stay in touch. Thank yeah, absolutely. You. Thank you. Oh, do you have anything else right. going on? Or uh, I, I, I suppose Chet Baker boxes don't come by that very often. And yeah, we were going to ask you that. <laughs> what? Yeah. What's the What's the next project? Well, I, I, I've done uh, I've done a set of notes. Uh, which will be on Mosaic eventually, uh-huh. uh, the Mosaic label, uh, which is it's all stuff that was recorded at Bourbon Street in Toronto hmm. by Paul Desmond. Oh wow! Really? With yeah, with uh, with Don Thompson and uh, Terry Clark and all those wonderful Canadian musicians, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's going to be a comprehensive set with a lot of discs so that's something to look forward to I uh, owe Cascuna a phone call and when I call him back I will ask him what the heck's going on with him (laughs) yeah ask him when the heck is coming out (laughs) I'd like to know (laughs) yeah I bet you would (laughs) all right all right well thank you very good and um, thank you gentlemen Enjoy your day, and uh, we'll talk to you again down the line. Please. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much, Doug, for joining us. It's an honor to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, You have so much uh, great jazz history um, because you were there, and that makes a huge difference, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it really informs your your writing, and and, uh, we're honored on this this side to get a chance to talk to you, and we hope to do just so much more uh, uh, catching your take on on all you've seen and all you've written about. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Once again, check out the legendary Riverside albums. That's a vinyl box set from Craft Recordings. And that's all Chet, man. It's it's good stuff, eh? Yeah. Oh, Great yeah. stuff. And it's right right in a uh, sort of a sweet spot in his career when he was he was sounding confident and great and, and, and coming into his own as a vocalist. And, you know, he was, he was taking over 
over the place <laughs> at yeah. a time when a lot of other people were, you know, there's a big Miles Davis moment there too. Yeah. You were talking about in. all the different, you know, releases that were coming out in that period. It's, it's crazy unbelievable. To Everything that happened in 1959 and the changing of the guard from bebop to, you know, I don't know, to, to hard. Well, Harbop was already kind of happening, but, uh, cool jazz and, and uh, free jazz and, you know, or net or net. <laughs> yeah. All that. All that wonderful stuff. So yeah. it's a cool period. I, I think it's worth, you know, always listening to stuff right, right here because this is like the melting pot of, of jazz right now. There you go. Get over to archivejazz.com and check that out. It's featured right there on the homepage. And once again, the legendary Riverside albums by Craft Recordings. Uh, give us a follow on Facebook and Twitter. Got lots of neat things going on over there. Follow the podcast and tell your friends about it. And, um, you know, we're available on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, and make sure that you hit us up on on Facebook uh, or, or or just shoot us an email if you'd like um, certain things to be covered in a show, you know, a certain artist, a certain album, uh, something that Archive Jazz carries. Let us know what you want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Or just general questions about, you know, what's happening in life. Yeah. So yeah, like we said, reach out to us, come say hi to us on socials or anywhere else. And I think that'll just about do it for lucky number 13. Guys. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks. Much more to come. Absolutely. I'm Christopher Peck. I'm Jeffrey Lean. I'm Tom Everett. And thanks for listening. <laughs>